0: Hey, this is Pastor Aram, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church Podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. If you have a Bible, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at the 5th chapter, verse 17. And today we're going to be talking about focusing on the future and not the failure. Focusing on the future, not the failure. How many of you understand that God has an amazing future planned for you? He has a hope and a vision for your life. He has somewhere He is taking you. And so from where you are now to where you will ultimately end up being, there is a process that He is moving you towards. There is an end result that He is moving you towards. And so today, the whole theme is, what do I do in the meantime? What do I do while I am going towards where God is taking me? And a lot of this is going to have to do with focus. Somebody I say focus. focus? Which is funny to me that we're dealing with this topic today because the other day as I was preparing the sermon, I was thinking about distractions. I was on my computer and I'm sitting in a chair next to a window that overlooks the creek behind our house. And as I'm working, I start to look at the creek and I notice a deer. And when I see this deer, I start thanking God for the deer I just saw. Because I'm, I'm the type of person, I'm like, I always prayed, like, God, I just would love to see a deer in my backwoods so that I can kill it. No, I'm just kidding. So <laughs> I'm thanking God for this deer. And then I start thinking, oh, I, gotta call, I need to call somebody and just tell them about this amazing thing that happened. And then I start noticing these people working on the house next to me, they're building a screened in porch. And so I'm watching them work. And I realize as I'm dealing with putting together a sermon about distractions, I'm being distracted. (laughs) And then we have like a general rule around my house that nothing big happens on Saturday night. That's the night that I need to go to bed as early as I can. It needs to be quiet. I wake up very early on Sunday mornings. And that's when I kind of just start really dialing in Uh, my heart my my mind my spirit for where we're going during the day and I need that to be a distraction-free environment and so we do not invite anyone to spend the night with our kids however last night we got stuck with some kids spending the night with my daughters if you're watching online and you're the parents of one of these kids just know this will never happen again (laughs) because not only did they stay up late making all kinds of noise This morning when I thought that I was going to walk out into this environment of solitude they were already away and they were partying having a good time talking about let's go make some lucky charms and so I was not really able to dial in the way I would like to dial in and so that being said if this sermon is terrible you can blame the kids not me but we're talking about focusing on the future and not the failure 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I want to stop right there. The moment you receive Jesus Christ into your heart and into your life, you become a new creation. The Bible goes on to say, The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The way I would love to preach this verse is the moment you get saved, everything that was a a part of your life is no longer a part of your life. Everything is brand spanking new. You're going to have new thoughts. You know, the things that you used to do, you're no longer going to do because everything's new. You know, if you used to be an addict and you get saved, you're no longer even going to think about the the substance that you used. I would love to be able to preach it that way. It's just not true. So there's a tension here that's happening in this verse because I do believe that when we come into Christ, we are immediately made a new creation. I do believe that the old has passed away and the new has come. I do believe that when we come into Christ, we receive a new nature. We receive new desires. We receive a new vision for our life. But here's the truth that we have to wrestle with. At the same time, we still have this vehicle of flesh. It is always going to try to drive us in a completely different direction. That's why Paul says in Galatians 5, he says the flesh opposes the spirit. The spirit opposes the flesh. So the new spirit that you have received through Christ Jesus, the resurrected spirit, the new life, It is here, it is fully functioning, and that spirit of Christ is trying to take you in a new direction. He is trying to lead you into a path of life and pleasant places. But while that is happening, we have this flesh at the same time trying to drive us in a completely different direction. There's a fight, there's a tension, there's a warfare. Can anybody testify to this being true? you've been saved for a long time but you still got some issues (laughs) you know that we we need to love one another yet sometimes you're in traffic and instead of loving them you want to bless them with your knowledge of of words this happened to me the other day i'm driving and this person i'm a safe driver if you've ever ridden with me in a car i'm not a speeder I'm very aware of my surroundings and sometimes that frustrates the people behind me. And this person just like swings around me, makes it a very unsafe situation for me and for them. And my first thought was not, Jesus, help them today. My first thought was, I wish it was lawful for me to track them down and pull them out of the vehicle. Why? Because although I am saved, although I love Jesus, although I have new desires, sometimes the flesh still shows up. Sometimes the old arm still sits up and goes, hey, what are we going to do today? And that happens for each and every one of us. There is a wrestle and a fight between your new nature and your old nature. There is a tension between where we have come from and where we are going, and it is called the present. See, Israel, if you're familiar with their story in Scripture, they, they wind up in slavery for 400 years. God sends Moses, he delivers them out of slavery. The moment they step out, they are free. Do you the person next to you and said they're free? They're, free. they're free? The problem is they still fought like slaves. So there's a process that God has to take them through that is developing them, that is training them, that is leading them where he wants them to be. So we need to understand as really good groundwork for where we're going, that although we are being perfected, we are not yet perfect. Although we are being perfected into the image of Christ, we are not yet fully there. We are fully saved, but we understand that we are still continually being saved and then ultimately one day, we will see Jesus face to face and this flesh will no longer have any grasp on us and we will be fully free. If we don't understand this, if we're not willing to fight with this, speaking of distractions, if you're not willing to wrestle with this truth then one or two things are going to happen one every time you slip up it's going to get to the point where you're going to throw in the towel nick you're going to be like you know what i got saved things were looking good for a little while but then this issue just popped back up i had this thought and then the thought became in action and I know it's not right and so maybe the salvation thing's not working and you get frustrated to the point to where you go well you know what I'm just done I'm just walking away I'm always going to be the same you don't have to raise your hands but I bet a lot of you have felt that way if you'll be honest you felt that way like you, you know that you're saved but you're still frustrated with the fact that you think a certain way when you know that you shouldn't think that way and one of the temptations is to just give up, just to say, well, this thing doesn't work, or to just accept being this way. Well, I'm an angry person, so I'll just remain an angry person. I, I don't love people, so I'll just remain the type of person that doesn't love people. You know, uh, I, I have unforgiveness in my life, I have bitterness in my life, and that's just my lot. I'll always be a better person. And then we become okay with it. And that's not good. Turn the person next to you say, that's not good. <laughs> so that's one option. The other option, which I think a lot of us within the church deal with, is hiding the issue. So what I do is, Dwight, I wanna make it look like on the outside, it's all good. I want you to think on the outside, I've got it all together. I want you to think that when I wake up, the Holy Spirit bathes me. There's no reason for a shower. (laughs) I float out of bed. My children are always perfect. My wife always does the right thing. I always do the right thing. That's what I want you to see. But on the inside, when we do that, we still remain broken on the inside. Everything on the outside looks like it's good, but on the inside, we're dying. I call this the Oz syndrome. Y'all remember the Wizard of Oz? Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. We want everyone to see Oz. We want everyone to see the great and powerful Oz that has all the answers, that has all the solutions, that has no problems, and pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. But here's what you need to know, and this this will help you. Some of you, this will help. You have to understand that we all have a man behind the curtain. And if you don't admit that there is a man behind the curtain, you are lying to yourself and you are creating a false illusion. It is not real. That man is still there no matter how many times you say he doesn't exist. And I remember when I was a kid, David Copperfield. you all remember David Copperfield? For those of you who don't remember David Copperfield, he was like one of the premier magicians of the time. And my family gathered around the television one night to watch him uh, make the Statue of Liberty disappear. Does anybody remember that? That was like a big deal. So the whole family gathered around and we watched David Copperfield make the Statue of Liberty disappear right in front of our eyes. Like that, this huge monument disappeared. But here's the truth it was an illusion, not reality. The Statue of Liberty, yeah, sorry to blow, burst your bubble, Kelly, but. <laughs> which brings me to my next subject. No. <laughs> it didn't really disappear, Kelly. It was an illusion. Turn to the person next to you and say, it was an illusion. So yes, I do have a new nature in Christ. But I have to learn how to walk it out. It's not like an automatic thing. It's, it's a process of learning and growing. When I first started riding a motorcycle, I made a lot of mistakes on the motorcycle. There were times I would stall out. One time I stalled out in the middle of an intersection. But I didn't just throw the bike down and say, you know what, I'm not riding anymore because I've made mistakes. No, I kept on riding. And the more I rode, the fewer mistakes I made. I still made mistakes, but I made fewer. I got better. I was growing. I wasn't focusing on my failure. I was focusing on my future. This is important for us to understand. If we're going to fully grow and develop into the people that God has called us to be and be the bride, the church that he desires for us to be, we're going to have to get real with some issues like this. Because even the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7.15, he says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. This is the Apostle Paul, y'all. He penned the majority of our New Testament scriptures, debbie. and he's saying, I don't understand my actions. I'm new in Christ. I've got a new nature. The old is gone, but I'm still making Mistakes, I'm still slipping up. There there is still some sin in my life that needs to be worked out. See, before I come into Christ, before I meet Jesus, there are things that I do that I didn't think twice about. How many of you remember that time in your life? You did stuff, and you never thought anything of it. The difference is now that you were in Christ, when you do it, you go, uh, shouldn't have done that. That's the difference between being saved and unsaved. Now that you're saved, Bob, you go, that wasn't right. Like when I, when I got angry on the road the other day, my immediate thought was I would like to give that person a piece of my mind, but then I thought, you know what, that's, that's not right. What is it that's in me that is driving me to be angry towards this person that I do not even know? And so what do I do? I bring that to Christ. Because he's the one that can help it. He's the one that can fix it. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to act like it didn't happen. I'm going to say, okay, obviously there are still some deficiencies in me that need to be worked out, and I'm okay with that because I understand this is a process. I am being perfected, but I am not yet perfect. Turn to the person next and say, you are not perfect. perfect. Oh, don't tell your wife that. (laughs) That just proves my point. You can tell the men who are like, They've been married for a while. They're smart. They kept their eyes fixed. <laughs> they allowed their wife to tell them you're not perfect. And they just said, I, I agree. <laughs> there's a but get this, there's a battle raging on the inside of every believer. That battle does not rage before you become a believer. Because before you become a believer, you're a children of wrath. You're a child of wrath. You're driven by the spirit of this world it's just that's who you are it's your nature you don't don't even question it but as soon as you come into christ you go you know what that's not who i need to be that's not that's not what i need to be showing and and i'm willing to keep on moving i'm willing to focus on what i need to focus on so that jesus can bring me through this so what's the key what's the key to this process focus somebody say focus I understand that the same God who started the work in me is the same God who is continuing to work to bring it to completion did you hear that Jesus doesn't just save me and abandon me Jesus saves me and stays with me to work with me to work on me in me and through me to bring me to where he wants me to be so here's the key When I say I don't stare at my failure, that means I'm not going to stare at my sin. I'm not going to stare at the things that I've done wrong. I'm going to stare at the one who can fix them. Thank you. Some of y'all were a little late to that party. But that's important. Because many times what we do is we see the issue and that's what we focus on. And you wonder why it's not getting better. Here's why. You have zero ability to fix you. You can beat yourself up. You can discipline yourself. There were people in the old days that used to physically mutilate themselves because of the sin in their life, thinking that if they would punish themselves enough, that they would stop their behavior. That doesn't work. Focusing on the problem does not work. I'm not saying that you ignore it and act as, as if it's not there, You know that it's there. I've got this issue in me, but I'm not the one that can fix it. Jesus is the only one that can fix it. And so instead of focusing on my failure, I'm going to focus on my future and the one who can get me there. Well, where's that biblical, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Verse 1. The Bible says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... You want to know who those are? Go back to uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews. These are the people, just like you and I, that lived life just like you and I, yet now they are standing in the presence of God because they endured through their faith. They kept their focus. And so now the writer of Hebrews is saying, which gives me an opportunity to tell you, that no one really knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people say, Paul, but we don't know. The only thing we know is that he was a coffee drinker. Because he brews. <laughs> you do know that in the Bible they drove Hondas. Did you know this? Because they were all together in one accord. I've got all day. (laughs) David rode a motorcycle. Did you know that? The Bible said his triumph was heard throughout the whole land. (laughs) Moses was quite the tennis player. We know this because the Bible says he refused to serve in the courts of Pharaoh. (laughs) And God, as we... Okay. Okay. The wise men in scripture (laughs) are redneck firemen. We know this because they came from afar. (laughs) And with that, we'll get back to Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse 1. Thank you for coming. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also, just like they did, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So I'm not okay with the sin. I'm not okay with the action. When Paul says, the things that I do, I hate, he's not saying it's okay that I do it and making an excuse, well, I'm, I'm just a human being, so I'll just keep on going. That's not what he's saying, and that's not what I'm saying either. Please hear my heart today. I am not saying sin is okay. Sin will hurt you. Sin has consequences. Sin is something we need to deal with. What I am trying to say is that it is a process of us learning to understand who Jesus is and what he's done, and the more we focus on him, the more he can transform us. So we lay aside these sins and these weights that cling so closely towards us. The, the other translations will say they entangle us, they ensnare us, they try to trap us. But how do we do it? How do we do it? It says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Understand that this, that we are in this process of going from where we were to where we are going is a marathon, not a sprint, and it has to be run with endurance. Somebody say endurance. So where does endurance come from? Here's what the Bible says. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, here's the key looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The other translations will say the author and the finisher, the one who starts the work and the one that brings us to completion. We focus on him. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who for the joy of that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured his suffering through focus. Jesus endured the cross through focus. Jesus endured this life through focus. How are you going to endure? Through focus. By stopping, you got to stop looking at the failure and start focusing on the one who can deal with it. It is all about focus. Turn the person next to you and say, it's all about focus. The, the, more, the, the, the more I look at him and the less I stare at me, the more I'm going to become like him. That's, that's how it works. I mean, husbands and wives that have been together for so long, they've spent so much time together, they start becoming like one another. In some cases, they even start looking like one another. I don't even know how that's possible, but they start getting this look to where, you know, like, oh, they're together. Thankfully, my wife has not become fat and bald yet. Some will say we're in a process. (laughs) Are are you following what I'm saying? Have I lost y'all? Do we need to have the worship team come over and just restart this whole thing? For those of you who are watching online, we love you, but pastor may be a little crazy. There you go, absolutely. So are y'all with me this morning? The more I look at him, the more I'm going to become like him. The more I focus on me, the more I'm going to remain just like me. It's all about our focus. And the enemy understands this. You know there is an enemy who's after you? He understands this. So one of the tricks he uses to to destroy our life is distraction. He distracts us from what we should be looking at. Because he knows if he can distract us, he can destroy us. If you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, when he causes them to fall into sin in the garden, he doesn't take the fruit and shove it down their throat. All he does is get them to look at it. And the problem is, every day we live, there are distractions all around us. And the more we allow those distractions to captivate us, the less our focus and attention is going to be on Jesus. So life itself is a distraction. But not only is the life around us a distraction, our actions become a distraction to us from where we're headed in Jesus. Because now, instead of focusing on Him, I'm focusing on my issue, I'm focusing on my sin, and I get distracted by the condemnation that the enemy puts in my life. The condemnation is, you're a screw-up, you'll always be a screw-up, you might as well give up. See, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. The enemy condemns us. You're no good, you'll never be good. That's condemnation. Conviction comes from a loving place of the Spirit saying, here's some things in you that we need to work on. And I'm going to stay with you and I'm going to help you. And the more we surrender those things to Jesus, not avoiding them, not hiding from them, not acting as if they don't exist, the more I accept that, okay, this is in me, but it doesn't need to be, and I'm willing to submit it and surrender it to Jesus, the more he can transform me. Somebody say transformation is key. Transformation happens through focus. That's why the word of God is so important in our life. The Bible teaches that his word is like a two-edged sword, sharper, it says sharper than a two-edged sword. What does that mean? It's, it's working on you, it's discerning your heart, your thoughts, it's the only book that reads you when you are reading it. The more of his word that I allow to get in me, the more he's going to transform me. But if I am so distracted by life and everything going on around me, I'm gonna see very little results in my life but I promise if you will take the time to actually pursue Jesus to actually go after Jesus to actually know him and understand that this is all about relationship and not religion it's not a bunch of rules that we follow it's not a checklist it is simply knowing the one who made you and the more you know him the more you become like him the more you know him the more who it is you were created to be is revealed But we've got to deal with the distractions. And we live in a time and day that distractions are constant. They are constant. And they're getting to be more constant. And the problem is the more distractions we have, the less valuable Jesus becomes to us. I know that stings a little bit. But there are many people that only want Jesus when they are in crisis. That's the only time. You know, people, people very rarely, there are, there are a few people that will write me to just encourage me. Rick does it all the time, and I appreciate it. Bob will do it sometimes. Everyone else, you're kind of slipping up on your response. No, I'm just kidding. There are people who will write me from time to time, and this isn't a plea to try to get you to write me. I'm not saying that. There are people who will write me from time to time to say, hey, I want you to know service was awesome, message was awesome, whatever. There, there may be people from time to time that just call to say, You know, hey, what's going on? Hope everything's good with you. You know, or tell me what God's doing in their life. But that's very seldom. Most of the time you only hear from people is when they're in crisis. And I'm going to say something that's probably going to get me in trouble. And it may make you not like me. And it may make you want to find another church. But I'm just going to roll the dice on this one. Some of you invest so much time into your extracurricular activities over what God is wanting to do in and through the church that I feel like when you call me searching for help, I need to say, have you spoken to your baseball coach about this issue? Have you gone to your Boy Scout leader for help on this matter? Well, I'm suffering from cancer. Yeah. Have you talked to your baseball coach about it? You don't call them. You know why? Because you know that they have no help for you. You're wanting to reach out to someone who can come into agreement with you in prayer to get a hold of the hem of the garment that can bring healing into your life. And we want God to touch our life, but we don't want to give him any part of our life except for what we want him to touch in the moment. And it is a shame. Listen, I understand that there are going to be times that you have something pop up. That's understandable. There are going to be times that you go out of town That's understandable. I do it myself. You know, I don't live in a bubble with nothing going on. So I'm not coming at anybody for saying, hey, you shouldn't have any extracurricular activities. But as soon as we make everything around us our priority, we are stepping into a very, very dangerous place. And I I feel like I need to take this moment to call you back where God tells the people in Malachi, return to me, that's his cry, return to me. I can help you, I can bless you, I want to touch you, I want to benefit you, but you've gone away and now you need to return to me. This is the day that God is saying, return to me. Make me a priority in your life. Shift your focus to me and I will bring the transformation you need. Some people allow condemnation to drive them away from the church. Why, you know, I did this or I'm going through this with my wife right now and I know it's not right and so I just need to get away from church for a little bit where nobody knows me. That is the dumbest thing you can do because things are not going to get better, they're going to get worse. The Bible says that we approach the throne of God with boldness. Because of what Jesus has done, we can come boldly before the throne to find mercy and grace in our time of need. So when we are in a time of need and we have a deficiency in our life, we don't hide from God. We run to God. We are honest with God and we say, God, this is what I'm going through. I need your help. I want it to change, but I can't change it. I've tried. Help me, Lord. And we lean into the mercy and the grace of God in our time of of need. Are you following what I'm saying? This is for people who are wanting to become someone different than you currently are. And I think that should be our goal, Dwight. Every day I should want to be different than I was yesterday. It doesn't mean you're ranked today, it doesn't even mean you've got like all this, you know, crazy stuff happening in your life. But I do believe that there is always better. There is always more. There is always a new level of understanding, a new level of knowing God and loving God and being transformed by him. So how do we fix the problem? By focusing on Jesus. When you change the input, you'll change the output. When you change the input, you will change the output. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Another way to say that is to guard what you allow to settle in your soul, because the meditation of your heart will determine the direction of your life. If you stare at something long enough, you will go after it. It's very careful what you, you've got to be very careful what you allow in here. Because seeds grow. Turn the person personation and say seeds grow. Many times when we get into different things, we start out with a seed. We don't start out with a manifestation of what that seed can become. And we think, you know what, Rhonda, this isn't it's not that big of a deal. I can handle it. I can handle this, I can handle that. And so we're inputting these seeds. But the problem is these seeds are developing and they're growing. And what happens is we end up with a jungle that is very difficult for us to manage. And it all started with a seed that we allowed through the input. So what's the writer saying? We've got to guard our heart. Why? Because your heart is the command center of your life. Whatever you allow to get in there is going to direct you and it's going to take you in a direction. That's why Jesus says, he he says in, in Matthew 12, 35, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things. A good man out of the good treasure, meaning what you've deposited in you is what you can withdraw. You can't make a withdrawal on what has not been deposited. So if you're not feeding yourself with the word of God, if you're not feeding yourself with time in his presence, then when you need to make a withdrawal, you're going to have non-sufficient funds. And many of us live with non-sufficient funds because we haven't deposited the right thing. Then he says, uh, same same is true for, for the bad person. Out of the bad treasure of the heart, they bring forth bad things. Your heart is the command center of your life, and whatever you allow in will determine what comes out. Whatever you stare at is the direction you will go in. David was a man after God's own heart. David was the king of Israel. God loved David. David loved God And he still had issues in his life that he had to wrestle with. But when David confronted his issues, he didn't hide them. He would repent. He would bring them to God. And then he would say things like, oh, God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your eyes. Why? Because he understands the meditation of his heart is what's creating room for where he's gonna go. The mistake he made in his life that we're also aware of when it comes to Bathsheba is because he shifted his focus. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He had the wrong meditation, which created the wrong motivation. Are you following what I'm saying? And it got him into a lot of trouble. He was still a God-fearing man. He still loved God. But he made a mistake, which is what we are all capable of. Are you getting this? I want that to sink in, that we are all capable of making mistakes. It's what do we do with it after it's made? Do we just say, "Uh, it's okay, I'll just keep on going in this direction? Or do we get real with God and say, you know what, God? I need help. I need help. I need help. I repent, which means I turn, I change the direction. I changed the course. Let what I am thinking, God, and what I am saying come into alignment with what you think and what you say. If you have received Jesus, you are a new creation. You are right now the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. Do you understand that? You are right now. You are forgiven. You are saved, but there are things he wants to work out in us, and the way he does that is through our focus. So please hear me. I'm not saying it is okay to sin. What I am saying is when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father that we can go directly to him. We can go directly to Jesus. We don't have to go through a man, a woman, a priest, a monk, a statue. We, don't have to go, th- we go directly to Jesus and say, this is what I'm dealing with, and I need help. And the more I stare at him, the more he can switch it and change it. It all has to do with focus. Focus is what creates endurance. I was thinking about Peter this week. We all know the Apostle Peter. He becomes a foundational pillar of the church. He denies Christ. He makes a mistake. At the same time, you've got Judas, who betrays Jesus. Makes a mistake, he sins. But the outcome of their life turns out completely different, one from the other. Because Peter hung in long enough to see the mercy of God in his life. He allowed God to restore him. He allowed the grace of God to cover him. Judas, on the other hand, was so distraught with what he did. Get this. After he did it, he didn't think, oh, it's fine. He was distraught. He knew, man, I messed up. He tried to return the money, but he was so distraught with what he had done. Instead of going to the Lord for forgiveness, instead of staying the course, he said, you know what? It's done for me, and he ended his life. Two people, both sinned. One found redemption, one found restoration, the other found damnation and death. Why, because of their focus. Peter somehow, by the grace of God, was able to see beyond the moment, whereas Judas couldn't see beyond his failure. He was so focused on his failure that he couldn't see that maybe God still had a future for him. Here's what I want you to know today, no matter what you've done, In your life, there is a hope and a future for you. No one is too far from the grace of God. No one has gone too far for God to be able to touch you today. He can touch you. He will touch you. He desires to touch you. He desires to transform you. You know, in the the Bible, there's a story of, of these lepers. It was a terrible skin condition that they had. And they used to have to go go through the cities going unclean, unclean, and they had certain areas that they had to be. And everybody avoided these people, but not Jesus. Jesus didn't avoid the leper. He touched them and brought healing to them. Know this, Jesus does not avoid your sin. Jesus does not avoid your issues. He's willing to get there and touch them so that he can heal them. And I hope that as a people, we can be the same way. I hope that we can learn that every person that we come into contact with has a man behind the curtain. And instead of judging them and instead of throwing what they've done out there for the world to see, we'll be a people who actually has the heart of Jesus and says, you know what? I want to restore you. Cameron, I want restoration for your life i'm not here to reject you i'm here to draw you closer i'm not here so that everybody else in the church can know what you've done i'm here so that you can find help and restoration because i believe there is a gift and a calling in your life that is valuable and that's what i want to go after but we have made such an error in the body of christ because as soon as somebody messes up we're with the crowd that wants to throw the stone. And the man, the only one who has the right to throw the stone, which is Jesus, says, I'm not going to throw the stone. And yet we're still there going, Are you Sure? Are you sure? Well, let me post it on Facebook. Let me post it on social media. Christianity is not about devastating and destroying lives, it's about restoring lives. It's about bringing hope to people. It's about them knowing that you can make it, that God still loves you. You wanna know who we're gonna be as a church? We're gonna be a people who strive to go after the things of God and understand that people still wrestle with their flesh. And when they make a mistake, we're gonna have the grace and mercy enough to not expose it to the world or the people around them, but to bring restoration. Because that's what the Bible says, those of you who are spiritual, when you find somebody at a fault, restore them. When David gets caught in sin, The prophet Nathan doesn't go to social media and put up an ad campaign about what David has done. He goes to him privately and says, here's what's going on, here's what God has made me aware of, and it allowed healing and restoration and forgiveness to happen in David's life. Woe to the one, I'm gonna say this, woe to the one who destroys the life of a brother or sister in Christ because they have no mercy. Because that individual will find mercy and you're going to have to stand and give an account for it. I know pastors and ministers that have had, they've had major issues in their life. And the world has condemned them, and the church has come right alongside of them and said, yep, let's lynch them. Let's put their teeth to the curb. Let's kick their face in. Let's destroy their life. Let's destroy their home. Let's destroy their family. And I promise you, that minister who failed will find mercy and forgiveness in the day of judgment but the person who destroyed that individual will give an account for what they've done. See, get this. I hope you can hear my heart. David sinned. There was a consequence to his sin. He had to deal with the consequence, but there was also restoration and his position was not revoked. What we want God to do is we want God to revoke positions. You know what? I, I found out what John did the other day. So John, you can never play piano again in the church. Are you kidding me? Is that Jesus? No. I, I'm not going to be okay with it, but I'm going to love him. I'm going to say, John, there's better in you. There's better for you. What can we do to help you get past this? Yeah, maybe there needs to be a season where you take some rest and, and you go and you see somebody and you get some help. But I'm not gonna stand up here on this platform and say, hey, John screwed up, just want y'all to know about it. If you uh, go to our website, I'll give you all the bullet points of what John's done. If you don't like that, find another church. If you want a judgmental pastor that's not gonna love people, find a different church. If you want a pastor who's not gonna be honest and thinks he's perfect, find another church. I know them all. They all have a man behind the curtain. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They all have a man behind the curtain curtain. There are people that don't want to come to our church because I talk about the man behind the curtain that I have. Get real. The Statue of Liberty is not disappearing. Don't put a man on a pedestal. Don't put a woman on a pedestal. Put Jesus on the pedestal. Because if we'll love Jesus and we'll love the way that Jesus loved, lives will be transformed. But if I'm always stiff-arming people because they don't look like me, sound like me, think like me, or vote like me, are they ever gonna have an opportunity to even see Jesus? No. And you're the fault. You're the fault. There are a lot of people that reject church, reject Jesus, not because Jesus isn't good, it's because the people who represent him are terrible, terrible representations. I heard an interview, I'll close with this. I heard an interview, young man, he grew up in a very fundamental home where everything was wrong, everything was a sin. You couldn't watch television, couldn't go to the movies, couldn't play video games, everything was wrong. He was homeschooled, his family tried to protect him from the world. When he became 13 years old, they thought, you know what, we can, we can send him to a Christian private school because he'll be safe there, news alert. I, I went to a Christian private school, Okay. He ends up getting involved in some things that he shouldn't get involved in, ends up hanging out with some people he shouldn't hang out with, and it takes his life in a direction to where he completely walks away from the church. When he's 19 years old, he hears the gospel for the first time. Now get this, he he grew up in church, but when he's 19 years old, he hears the gospel, which is the good news. For the very first time, he gets saved he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. He starts going out and sharing the love of God with people around him. He's excited about this new life that he's actually found. Not religion, but relationship. He's excited about it. Gets a new girlfriend. Ends up sleeping with her. He feels terrible about this. It goes back to what I was saying. Before he was saved, he never thought once about what he did. But now he's saved. He sleeps with his girlfriend. He feels terrible about it. So he goes to some of the leaders in the church and he's like, here's what I'm dealing with, here's what I'm wrestling with, here's what I need help with. And you know what they did? They said, you don't need to be here. Pushed him out. You know what he did? He went back to his life that he had before of addiction and all that stuff. But finally he came to this understanding that the grace of God was still chasing him down. Now he's been restored. And now he does ministry. But I thought, man, that's such a powerful thought if, if, if we don't make room for people to be human beings, then we don't have room for anyone. Nick, and, and I'm not saying, please hear me, don't go blab your business to every single person because you can't trust every single person. But if you find people in your life that you trust and you know they love you and want the best for you, you need to be open enough to say, hey, here's what I'm dealing with and I need help and I need prayer. And that person needs to be loving enough to help Restore you and not reject you. And that's, that's what I want for Activation Church. I want us to drop the Oz syndrome. Stop acting like we're the great powerful Oz, so we've got our act together and our poo-poo don't stay. And understand that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And the good news is we have one. We have one. And his name is Jesus. And he's not okay with our sin. He's not okay with our current condition, but he'll love us through it. He doesn't run from us. He gets right down in the middle of it with us and he touches us and he brings healing to us. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this room, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, and I'm not talking about just saying a prayer, I'm talking about fully surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, if you have never done that, this is going to be the moment for you. If maybe there was a time that you were on fire for God, you were going after God with everything that you had, but then you decided you were going to shift directions and go your own way, this is the moment for you to return to Him. If you've been living as the great and powerful Oz and you're tired of living that way, you want to get to the place where you go, you know what? I need help too. I need mercy, too. I need the love of Jesus, too. This moment, right now, is for you. So no matter who you are, no matter what the circumstance is, I'm going to ask that if that person is you, just lay your hand over your heart. I'm not going to have you stand. I'm not going to have you come up front. I just want you to lay your hand over your heart as a sign of our connection today. Awesome. Father, you see the hearts of people. God, first my prayer is that we would become more like you. Lord, let your love become our love. Let your ability to forgive become our ability to forgive. Your ability ability to endure our ability to endure. Lord, we come to you understanding that we are sinners and we need a savior. Lord, we understand that we cannot fix ourselves, but your blood can forgive us. Your blood can transform us. Your blood can bring healing and restoration. Lord, you have the ability in a moment to change our life forever. And God, that's what I'm asking that you would do. Jesus, we receive you into our heart. We receive you into our life. We surrender our life to you. now for anyone who have got an issue in your life that you need us to come into agreement with I'm going to ask that you would lay your hand on your heart and very quickly we're going to agree together today and believe that Jesus will meet you at the point of your name Father you know the need of every single person in this room God you know the cry of our heart you know the things that keep us up at night and Lord I'm asking that you would meet us at that place right now father, I wanna pray for the Dameron family right now. Lord, whatever it is that they are going after, whatever it is that they're praying for, whatever it is that's been on their heart and their mind. God, I'm asking that You would help them right now. Lord, I'm asking that You would bring a solution. I'm asking that You would bring a relief. God, I'm asking that You would touch their home. I'm asking that You would touch their family. I'm asking that You would touch their mind. I'm asking that You would touch their body. Lord, we pray for Carmen right now. And Lord, I'm asking that you would bring complete healing to her little body. Jesus, let her feel your touch even right now. From the top of her head to the soles of her feet. Lord, let there be complete healing. Let there be complete restoration. Lord, the things that have troubled her, God, let them trouble her no longer. And Lord, I pray that prayer for anyone in this room that's dealing with sickness in their life. God, I'm asking that you would touch them right now, in Jesus' name. I have have two friends right now, their mothers are going through very difficult times in their life, and I want to come into agreement as a church for them. Father, you know who they are, you know where they are, and God, I'm asking that you would touch them right now, in Jesus' name. Lord, we believe that you are the solution to every problem, and God, we trust that you are working even while we're waiting. Lord, you work in the moments that don't even make sense to us. And God, we believe that no matter what the outcome is in our life, you do it to receive ultimate glory. And so, Father, we trust you. We don't lean to our own understanding. But God, we do ask for your help. We do ask for your peace. We do ask for your healing power to touch them right now. In Jesus' name. And everyone say.